For Thomas Morton, there was only one way to celebrate the arrival of spring, with a dance party. In 1628, that meant building a festive, slightly phallic maypole and dancing around it until the sun came up. But in the spring of 1628, Thomas Morton had a problem. The Englishman was in Massachusetts, surrounded by pilgrims who wanted to shut the party down. But Thomas Morton knew what he had to do. He had to fight for his right to party. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Alice Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're going into the suburbs of Boston, to a town called Quincy. It's quiet and stately in that New England kind of way. But back in the 1620s, it was the world's least likely party town. And home to Thomas Morton, the party animal at the center of it all. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You've probably heard of Plymouth, where the Mayflower docked and the Pilgrims settled in North America. Well, Quincy is just about 30 miles to the north, closer to Boston. And it's the birthplace of John Hancock and two presidents, John Adams and John Quincy Adams. But back then, Quincy had another name, the name that Thomas Morton gave it, Marymount. Okay, before we go any farther, there's a very important piece of background information. Thomas Morton, not a pilgrim. Not everyone who came over on the Mayflower was. And the pilgrims were, they were kind of rigid people. And Thomas Morton was not a pilgrim. He was more of an Elizabethan cavalier. You know, an Elizabethan cavalier. Elizabethan cavalier, uh, which is to say he was a a fun-loving, hard-drinking, pleasure-seeking kind of guy. That's William Heath, a writer and historian who's published research on Morton in the Journal of American Studies. He he was sort of the opposite of the Puritans. He's using the word Puritans here, although technically Morton came over with the Pilgrims. And there are differences between the two groups, but on pretty esoteric matters. If anything, the Pilgrims are kind of extreme Puritan. They'd been oppressed back in England, but they also kind of liked oppressing people who disagreed with them. We sometimes think that the Puritans stood for uh, religious freedom, but they actually stood for incredible amount of intolerance of anyone else's religious beliefs. The Puritans believed whoever tolerates someone else's beliefs doubts their own. 
So when Morton comes, he's, he was anathema to them. I mean, they really wanted to get rid of him. But uh, the crucial issue is that he set up a fur trading post in, at present-day Quincy, which isn't that far from Boston. He had uh, other sort of people like him, and there were some in New England from the start, had gathered at Marymount, as he called his place. And they began trading first for the Indians and were having some success with that. I think the key reason he succeeded is that he treated the Indians with a considerable amount of respect, that, that he had a, a great interest in Indians and Indian culture. The uh, Puritans thought that the, the key reason he succeeded was that he was willing to trade guns for furs. And the Puritans just saw them as, as uh, savages and wild beasts and so forth. When Morton established his fur trading post, he named it Marymount in hopes that the residents, be they English or Algonquin, could have themselves a good time. He was evoking what's sometimes called Merry Old England. Merry Old England basically was a highly festive culture so that every month of the year, quite literally, had festivities. There was the 12 days of Christmas, for example, where there was lots of festivities at, I think, June 21st, when the solstice changes or whatever, there were major festivities. May 1st was when they put up the Maypole, and everyone danced around the Maypole and drank and went off into the woods and and um, quite literally fornicated. Uh, so that, um, and this went on all year long, and it was tied to the seasons, and it was tied to the crops, and it dates back quite literally to classical times. Uh, many of these festivals came over from the Romans. Thomas Morton's proud, towering maypole was certainly the most literal and possibly the most iconic symbol of this pagan heritage. But it was also the last straw for the pilgrims. In 1628, a pilgrim militia led by Miles Standish invaded Marymount. And during the May Day festivities, they chopped the maypole down. I think he's one of the most interesting figures in, in early American history because he's he's quite generally the first rebel, uh, the first counterculture person, if you will, given the, the culture of the Puritans. Morton was exiled back to England, only to turn right back around for Massachusetts. They sent him home again a few years later, and that's when he decided to write a book. He called it The New English Canaan. He likened Massachusetts to a biblical promised land, Heath describes it as a little bit of a mixed bag, kind of rambly, not totally coherent, but Morton was definitely having some fun with it. In the book, he calls Miles Standish Captain Shrimp. It's written with this kind of overblown rhetoric and with lots of in-jokes and poems and and so forth. It's not sort of straight serious, but uh, he he condemns uh, the Puritans and the Pilgrims for being uh, hypocrites. Beyond the bold religious critiques, Morton talks about his experience with America's indigenous peoples. To my mind, Morton is the first American author who really writes about America as opposed to abstract theological notions. The Puritans wrote a great, great deal, but they were mainly sermons and they were mainly replays of biblical notions and and allegorical interpretations of everything in light of the Bible. And Morton is simply looking out at the real world and seeing what he sees. He said, I got far better treatment among the Indians than I did with the the Puritans. He also um, 
revealed, and this is hidden in most of the history books, that the pilgrims under Miles Standish uh, attacked the Indians, uh, ambushed some of their leaders and, and killed them and caused a major uh, panic among the Indians. It caused further deaths. The normal historical narrative is to pretend that the pilgrims had very good relations with the Indians. And, and Morton tells some stories that, that subsequent history has proven true, that there are some very ugly episodes. In uh, Even before the Puritans came, the pilgrims were killing some Indians and causing some major problems. You can guess how the pilgrims felt about this book. It's impossible to say with total certainty, but it might just be the first book ever banned in what would become the United States. But as much as the book was against the pilgrims, it was also a love note to this new land. Morton describes Massachusetts as a masterpiece of nature. And I, I think he really loved the place. I mean, he, he, the natural world really appealed to him. Morton's love for Massachusetts was so deep that even after his second exile, he tried to return a third time. He was exiled again to Maine to live and die in isolation. Walking around Quincy today, you wouldn't necessarily know that any of this went down. Like we said, it's a quiet town. It's probably more famous for having the world's first Dunkin' Donuts than for Morton's wild dance parties. But there is a small reminder of Thomas Morton's promised party land. It's called Marymount Park. Jutting out into a scenic tidal marsh, the park is 80 acres. That's plenty of room to set up your maypole and tap into your inner Elizabethan Cavalier. Exercise that American right. To party! This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, and John Delore. The story was reported by the brilliant Matt Taub. Our theme music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was mixed by Luz Fleming. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.